We're going to pick up our series in James. We're going to be looking at a passage in James chapter 4. And I've entitled this morning, Passionate Desire for God. And that's what's come through in our worship, passionate. Jesus, you alone will be my first love. And so we're going to read a passage together. Um, It's from James chapter 4. This is a hard-hitting passage. It's a hard-hitting passage. James pulls no punches. So this is what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Powerful passage. Powerful passage. So Annie and I, uh, last early hours of Sunday morning last week, uh, we were coming back from uh, Lanzarote. We've been in Lanzarote. And um, Lanzarote, if you don't know, is a volcanic island. And uh, in the 1700s, 1800s, there was volcanic activity. There was a huge uh, uh, activity over a period of many years. And actually, a huge, as a result of the lava flows and what happened, actually a huge amount of Lanzarote that's there today was formed. Incredible place. And uh, on one of the days we took a tour, went on a coach tour around the island, and we went to uh, 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 one of the volcanic craters, and the dormant volcanic craters, and uh, they've got sort of like little visitor centers there. And uh, what we did, um, the the picture you're seeing above is, it literally was like a a hole 10 feet, about 10 feet deep. And uh, you're there and you're standing and and everything looks dormant. And uh, then they uh, did a couple of things. So the first thing they did, they said, pick up some gravel. So they uh, scooped some gravel about 40 centimeters under the surface, just little bits of black gravel. And then they went around and said, hold your hand out. And they put it into your hand and you suddenly went, oh, you're like that, tossing bits of gravel around. I mean, it's really hot, 40 centimeters, couldn't tell. You're just looking at it going, well, it's just it's hot anyway. So you're looking at it, you're just going, put it, put it in hand, you're like, oh, wow. Then there's this crater, this, this little 
10 feet deep. It's just like a little pothole. And they say, watch what happens. And they get this pole and they stick up their pitchfork and they stick some dry grass and they just put it in there. Within seconds, it's burst into flame and consumed. Just looks normal. Looks dormant. Looks like there's no activity at all. But under the surface, there is heat, there's power, there's something going on. Guy's prophecy was about the danger of us being complacent with the things of God. Listen to what A.W. Tozer says. I want, I, del- I want deliberately to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our present low estate. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Too bad that with many of us he waits so long, so very long, in vain. James, like Tozer, deliberately is out to get under our skin. What we've just read in James, he's a, he's a straight talker. He gives, he shoots from the hip. He forces us to face up to how we handle big issues like trials and temptations, riches and poverty. But he's doing more than just trying to provoke a reaction. He's not just someone just giving us a poke and a dig to try and wake us up. He's trying to do far more than that. You see, James is like a skilled consultant and a a, 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 a top surgeon rolled into one. Into one. He has, he's identifying problems and he's giving solutions to them. He's identifying the symptoms. He's saying, this is the problem. This is what's happening here. And this is the solution. It's what he's doing in his book. And what he does is he is wanting to get to the heart of the issue. He's wanting to get to the heart of the issue that prevents us from being passionate for God and about God. James was the leader, we're told in Galatians, of the early church in Jerusalem. I mean, it was the early church in Jerusalem. It was a hotbed of Christianity. They were firebrands for Jesus Christ. Their lives have been radically changed and they turned the world upside down. The sense of the presence of God was so great amongst them that people were afraid to join them. That's what we're told in Acts chapter 5 verse 13. You see, following Jesus wasn't for the faint-hearted. It could cost you everything. The church was countercultural. It swam against the tide of where the culture of the day was going. And it showed in the way that the early church, the early believers lived their Christian lives. 
Eventually, persecution, as we've heard, as we've been going through the book of James, uh, caused the church to be dispersed, and, and believers were scattered out of Jerusalem, and they went through Judea and Samaria and the, the rounding, surrounding lands. But wherever they went, they talked about Jesus. They couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And as people came to faith, they started new churches. New churches started springing up all over the place. And James is writing to stir them, writing to these churches to stir them, to keep pressing on. Don't lose your spiritual fervor. You see, he knew that as, a, as an expert in the things of God, as a, as a leader in the church, as, an, as a top consultant, top surgeon, he knew that people easily got Settled, easily lost their passion and desire. So he knew they need to be stirred and provoked and encouraged. You see, we easily become complacent. Passion needs to be stirred up, as a, otherwise it cools. And the symptoms of our lock, lack of passion are, are things like disengagement. I mean, we, we come to church and we've got a Bible on our app. But actually, we spend more, more time looking at other things actually, while we're in church, then actually, we're not actually reading the Bible. I would encourage you, if that's a battle for you, just bring a Bible. Just bring a Bible. If that's a distraction for you, bring a Bible, because I tell you, God is here. We easily, we easily get distracted, disengaged. We chat, we daydream. We've all done it. We get disinterested. We come later and later. Oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter. We're muted in our worship and our thankfulness. Our prayer, we pray, but we're not as passionate about prayer as we once were. We can be full of disdain as well. The prophetic, well, you know, really? Really? Does God speak today? Wow. God is a living God. God speaks today. And so James writes a circular letter. He writes a circular letter to churches, most of whom he has never been to, most of whom are full of people he doesn't know. Churches like this church. He writes, and what he writes is as relevant today as it was then. Like an expert physician, he knows the symptoms of those who are starting to drift in their faith. More importantly, he knows the source of the problem, and he has the solution. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. So first of all, the symptoms. You see, some symptoms are easy to spot. They're easy to spot. You can go to a GP and GP can go, yep, I know what that is straight away. I remember going to, I had, uh, my tongue was really sore and I just remember going to see a GP because it was quite painful and I went to the GP and uh, he just said, if that was a she, she said, oh, it's geographic tongue. I'm like, geographic tongue? Has it got anything to do with the, I did geography in school or anything to do with that? What, what's that? And, and I said, well, what's the, what's the cause? What's the solution? Well, we don't, she said, don't really know too much about it. Uh, but well, pro probably what she meant was you don't look intelligent enough to understand. <laughs> uh, but it just, she just straight away just knew it was geographic tongue. But usually 
GPs can spot something because the malaise, the problem is quite well advanced. And James is, 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 is able to, to spot symptoms very quickly. And he identifies some in his letter. His letter is all about identifying symptoms of problems. And last week, John was talking about our need for godly wisdom, which brings peace and order in the church. And as we've read what we just read this morning, clearly there is a need for peacemakers in the church that James is writing to. What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? I mean, I've seen over... 25 plus years, I've seen many quarrels in church life. I haven't seen any fisticuffs yet. Not yet. Please, God, may it not happen. But James, when James uses the words about fights and quarrels, he is, uh, they are words that in everyday Greek, they would have used those of fighting. Genuinely, it would have been, they would have used them of war, of battles. The language James is using is really stark. What is causing fights and quarrels amongst you? James, I mean, I think James would have had far more to say if they'd actually had been fighting. So I think we can, we can know from this that he's, he's talking about the, uh, the, uh, the verbal disputes. He know, that's what he's got in mind. But the language is really tough language. Actually, he seems less bothered about the issues behind the quarrels. He seems to be more concerned at the way disagreements are being handled. And it, he makes the point that they start internally, desires that, uh, uh, desires that battle within you, and they break out externally amongst you as a people. It starts with desires in the heart. Desires that battle within us over things that we want but we don't get. And we don't get them because we don't ask God. And when we do ask God, we don't get them because we don't ask with the right motives. Because something is wrong at a heart level with our motives. You see, James doesn't actually tell us what uh, the battles are. He doesn't give us, actually, he doesn't give us much indication, too much indication. And, and actually, if he did, all we would do is we would go down the list and we'd go, no, that's, I'm okay with that. I'm okay, that's not relevant to me. That's what we'd do. We'd look at the list and we'd want to make sure, oh, I'm okay, and ignore it. He doesn't give us that option. He wants us to stop and he wants us to listen. The context, however, to what he's saying in these verses suggests that a lot of us want the kind of wisdom that will enable us to gain recognition as leaders in the church. We want to be recognized. We want to be recognized. Do we long for recognition? Do we long for people to take notice of us, maybe in the community, maybe in work, maybe in our family? Do we want people to notice us in the church? Is there a longing for promotion, uh, a pay rise, an acknowledgement? I remember years ago, uh, I just, just as I was becoming an elder, back in uh, the late 1980s, early 1990s in the church in Hedge End, I was working in Gosport and there was a Christian bookshop in Gosport. And I remember going into the bookshop and it was being run by a couple of older ladies, volunteers, 
running the bookshop. And uh, the, the church, there was a church in Gosport that was sort of linked with the church that uh, we were in in Hedge End. There were a number of churches around the area that were at the time. And I remember going into the bookshop and just wandering around. And I, 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 th- I heard, or I thought I heard her say, that's Steve Chick. And inside I went, oh, wow. Hey, wow. She knows me. That's great. Well, I feel my shoulders go. As the years have gone, I've realized probably what she's saying, what's he doing in here? He looks really thick. That's probably what she said. (laughs) But we're looking, there's something within us that longs for recognition. We long for it. We want to be recognized. In the fertile ground of frustration, envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, and malice all thrive. And they have a huge impact on church life. I have known so many people over the years leave churches, leave churches all over the place because they didn't feel that they were noticed. Their gift wasn't recognized. They were frustrated. James is saying that if we don't... If this symptom doesn't get dealt with, if the, we don't find out what the, the root of the problem is, if we don't find the source of the problem, we're going to be in trouble. Because the end result of these sorts of frustrations is that it can get ugly and it can get nasty. And it should come as no surprise. We see it right at the beginning of the Bible with Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. They, about their business, Cain is in the fields producing crops. Abel is, has got his flocks, and they bring a gift to God in due course. And Cain, it says, just brings some of the crops he's grown. Abel brings the firstborn, the, the best of his lambs, and brings it as an offering. And it says God accepted Abel's offering, but didn't Cain's. And Cain is angry. He's been overlooked. His offering was Actually, the difference is there's something in the language. He just brought an offering. He was complacent. He was casual about his offering, his offering of worship. Abel brought the best. And God accepts Abel's offering. And Cain is really cross. Why? Am I being overlooked? And God speaks to him. And God says to him, He warns him. He says, what's going on? He says, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. He's basically saying, deal with this issue. Otherwise, it's going to cause problems. And what happens is, Cain won't listen, and he kills his brother. First murder recorded in the Bible. Awful things can happen when quarrels get out of hand. The Apostle John says this, that when we don't love our brother, we act like Cain. When we don't love our brother, we act like Cain. That's what he says in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. So there are symptoms. But there's a need for a source. We need to find the source. Any good doctor knows that once we identify the symptoms, we've got to find the source. So otherwise, it's pointless. We're, just, we're not doing, making any difference. I remember years ago going into hospitals. In hospital for two weeks, I was having terrible headaches. The consultant, I think, thought I had a tumor, uh, so I had all the CAT scans, and I I had everything for two weeks. As a 15-year-old, I had no idea what was going on. I was just pleased to be not in school. So uh, I had no idea what was going on. But that's what he's looking for. And at the end of two weeks, he's got all the symptoms, 
but he can't find any source. And he says to me, he says, Steve, we've, we've looked. He said, I was expecting to see something when we did a scan inside your head. We found nothing. <laughs> and you wondered about the problem in the church. You see, we need to find the source. Up until now, James has speaking, been speaking generally. He's been talking generally. He says, whenever you face trials, if any of you lacks wisdom. He's been blunt, but he's had a really nice bedside manner. Um, my brothers, my dear brothers, he uses those phrases lots of times in the first couple of chapters. Suddenly, the tone changes. I just want, let the shock of this sink in. You adulterous people. Just, I want you to let the shock of that to sink in. You adulterous people. Where's the bedside manner gone? Adultery is a serious issue. In the Old Testament times, sex outside marriage could get you stoned. So why say it? This passage, this, these few verses are the heart of the book, of the letter. This is, here we see the the source completely identified. Marriage is God-ordained. The promises that couples make to each other are made before God and to God. Their promises made to God. God is serious about marriage. And so breaking those promises, God calls adultery. And God uses the same language in the Old Testament when he talks about his people who promise to love and obey him, but don't keep to their word. The, the people he's chosen and made great and precious promises over who say, yeah, we're going to love you, God, and we're going to be your people, and then go off and, uh, and do something else and drift away. He calls the nation in the Old Testament his adulterous bride in Hosea. Does it in Isaiah and Jeremiah as well. And even Jesus used that sort of language in Matthew chapter 12. You adulterous people. If Paul says marriage reflects the radiance of Christ's love for his bride, the church, in Ephesians 5, then adultery reflects the way we trample over the beauty of all that God holds dear. Has James been too strong? Well, listen, I just want you to listen to what the Bible says about us before we it came to Christ. We were living in darkness. We were far from God. We were opposed to him, spiritually dead. You read through the book of Ephesians and Romans. Suddenly, God comes to us by his spirit and starts to work on us. We didn't do anything. God starts to work on us, and suddenly we start to become aware of stuff. We, we may be out and looking around, and we see the beauty of creation. They think, well, I wonder if there's a creator. I wonder where that came from. Maybe we pick up the Bible and we, we read it and we think, I don't understand this, but something gets under our skin. Numbers of people have come and done Alpha uh, as an introduction to find out about Jesus, who he is, what he says. Is he who he says he is? And as they've come, they've, they've been overwhelmed by this person, Jesus. They, they've been overwhelmed by what they read about him and that he was a real person. Wow, I didn't realize that. And then they become aware of some of his claims and suddenly they start to think, maybe he is who he says he is. Maybe he is the son of God. Maybe he did die for me. And then something suddenly happens. God breaks in by his spirit and the Bible says born again. That's what's happened to us. God broke in. He made, he's 
marked us with his spirit. We've been adopted into his family. We're included now in the family of God. The Bible says in Ephesians, we are in Christ. It's like we are married to him. How wonderful that is. He has made precious promises to us, and we have promised our lives to him. We've died to this world and all that it has to offer. Spiritual adultery? Well, James says it's friendship with the world. Friendship with the world. We use friendship in quite a light and easy way. What does he mean? Are we, are we supposed to go Amish and withdraw into our little community and have nothing to do with the world around us? No. We're to be in the world but not of the world. That's what we're told in, in John. We're called to be the aroma of Christ amongst those who are perishing. You can only be an aroma if you're out there mixing with people. So what's, he, what's James so vehemently opposed to? What's he warning us about? He's, what he's really saying is this. It's about the way the world operates. It's about how all the, the, the world stands for. It's its way of thinking. It's its value system. He doesn't want that to affect us in the, the way we think and the way we act. You see, the Bible says that this world is under the power of the devil who's opposed to God. He may be a fallen angel. He may be uh, nothing compared to Christ. There is no comparison between. It's not good and evil at two equal forces fighting out, and we hope God's going to win. God is great. The devil is, is nothing. God has already won. Jesus has already won on the cross, but the devil has influence in this world, and he's creating mayhem. You only have to look around you. And James doesn't want us to be caught up in the stuff of this world. You say, James has already identified the issue is this friendship of the world is those who say they love, they love God, but have a tendency, have a tendency to imitate the way the world thinks. It affects us all, all of us, every single one of us. Tim Keller says this, every culture imposes identity and doesn't ask our permission. Just take the issue of smoking. People don't smoke uh, in public places now. And if people are smoking, we, we notice. We notice that they're smoking. And actually, we notice they're smoking, but actually if we're close enough to them, what happens is we go home and we smell of the smoke. You go home and, and, and Annie might say, wow, where have you been? You're close. Think of smoke. Well, you were just a bit close. They were smoking. You've just, it's just impacted you. It's just washed over you. It's just tainted you. We live in a world that taints us, where we're influenced by the culture. It gradually affects our thinking, values, and morals. All of us. All of us. Just by being in the world, it does that. Money, God. Let me give you an example. Money, God expects us to be generous. The love of money in this world, it bombards us. Slowly, the radical nature, Jesus says so much about the love of money. Jesus, slowly, the radical nature of what Jesus says slowly it's watered down. We water it down. So we've... And the root issue is one of the heart. So let me give you an example. We've just had an offering for West Point for the work of churches that, in terms of reaching more people with the gospel. That's what the work of commission is about. That's what the offering we had a few weeks ago was all about. Amazing. Over 5,000 pounds. That's fantastic. Thank you. But thank you for giving. But there are moments... When someone, when we go, do I have to give to that? 
Commission got loads of money. What do I need to give them them for? What's that all about? Now, hear me. You can decide where you give, but you can't not be generous. The Bible gives us no option not to be generous. You can be generous wherever you feel God's speaking to you about, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you have no right not to be generous because you belong to him, and everything you have is given by him. And actually what happens is we're not generous and we don't give anywhere. That's what happens. It's an excuse sometimes about stuff like that because it's a heart issue. There's something in the heart. Attitudes to sex. We've constantly been told what is sexually acceptable out there in the world around us. Constantly being bombarded with it. The current thing is, is that uh, you read about it all the time. Hookups are okay. So people decide. Before they decide if they're going to uh, enter a relationship, they they have sex with someone because they get the sex bit out of the way before they decide whether they want to pursue a relationship. Hookups. I mean, we stand diametrically opposed to the way this, the world operates on these things. We're on the front line on these issues. We live in a culture that's me-centric. It's all about me. We, I've just been talking about the breaking covenant promises, adultery. And, and what happens in our heart is we do things like this. We go, yeah, but I, I forget the issue of, because uh, sometimes marriage doesn't work out, okay? Okay, we live in a world where actually that happens. I understand that. But when there are issues in terms of people perhaps uh, harshly treat us in work or wherever, we go, the heart issue is, you don't know what I went through. You don't know what I'm going through. It's all about me. It's all very me-focused. Jesus was completely not me-focused. He was us-focused. And we're called to be his people who look beyond the inner pain. We look to him. He's the one that we've heard that comes and deals with our heart, heart pain, and helps us to go above and beyond. And that's what you we're called to do as the people of God, not to be me-centric. So why is flirting with the world so serious? This didn't happen, okay? But I want you to imagine we're coming back uh, to the UK and we're in the airport in Arisife and we're waiting for the flight. We've got an hour or two. And I say to Annie, would you like a drink? She says, yeah, I'd like a, a, I'd like a, a latte, something like that. And I say, okay, I'll go and get you one. So I, I disappear off. And then I'm gone for about 40 minutes. And uh, she eventually comes to look for me, and, there, and, and I'm just chatting. I'm chatting to this, this girl. And um, uh, chatting away, and Annie comes up and goes, going, oh, well, I've just, just met someone, so this is, this is uh, I, I won't pick a name, okay? But um, this is so-and-so, and we just got chatting, really nice. We've got a lot in common. And uh, so, oh, sorry, sorry, I just kept you waiting. Oh, um, by the way, here's my number. Give me a ring when we get back and it'd be great to hear from you again. What's going to happen? It's going to be ugly. Okay? <laughs> it's going to be ugly because she, Annie, will, does not expect me to behave like that. That is unacceptable. Flirting is unacceptable. Oh, yeah, come on, you're over, uh, uh, you know, playing it up. No. God expects so much more of us. He is jealous for our love and devotion. There's a debate on the inter interpretation of James chapter 4, verse 5, but it seems to me it's referring to the Spirit of God, uh, the Spirit God has put in us that's jealous for our hearts. God is jealous for our hearts. He wants our hearts. He doesn't, 
It's not half of it. He's not satisfied with a bit. It's black and white. There are no shades of gray in this. God wants, expects, and deserves our unwavering allegiance. Why shouldn't he? Why shouldn't he? And here's the solution. See, we need a solution. We're too easily infected. God provides the answer. Grace. Grace. When you go to the doctor and the doctor identifies the symptoms, he sees uh, the source and he says, here's the solution. Take these tablets three times a day. Take it daily, every day for the next six months. There's something about this. There's a solution and it's, it's a daily dose of grace. That's our solution. We need a daily dose of grace. Our propensity to drift away from our relationship with God. We need grace every day. We're all like that. We need God's help. God's solution is Jesus. He sent Jesus to be the answer for us. Christ came into the world full of grace and truth. From the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another, we're told in John chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus came to deal with our waywardness. He came to deal with the issues around our complacency. He calls us... He provides a way for us to come to the Father. God punished him instead of us. A holy God, a God who is awesome. God is holy. He's in this place. And, and it may look like that. You may think, oh, nothing's really going on this morning. God is at work. We tread carefully. God is powerful. God's holiness is here. We need grace. We need the grace of God every day. We need the grace of God that comes through Christ. God gives us more grace. God opposes the proud, those who resist Christ, but he gives grace to the humble. And every time we drift, we need more grace every day. And here's what James says. We need to do a few things. The first thing is this. We need to submit to God. Submit to God. Submit to the word of God. If God's word says it, we believe it. If God says it, we believe it. Yeah, but, you know, the government, I don't care what the government is saying. If God's word says it, we, do, we, uh, we obey our government, we pray for them, but we obey God. God comes first. We submit to God. So if God says it, we do it. We believe it. And we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. That's the gospel. So we submit to God. And then we resist the devil. And he'll flee from us. We refuse to bow to his authority. We say no to temptation. We put on the armor of God. Spurgeon said, if you don't submit to God, you won't resist the devil. If you don't submit to God, you won't resist the devil. We need to submit to God's word every day. We need to know what it says. And then James says we need to come near to God. We need to come near in worship. We need to be passionate worshippers in every area of our life, not just on Sunday morning. So when we come on a Sunday morning, we're eager to be here because actually we're coming near for, to the one who gives us grace, the one who allows us into his presence. We're coming into the presence of a holy God. We come with a different mindset. We don't come with a complacent mindset. And then James says we need to wash our hands. We need to constantly wash our hands. We need to purify our hearts because we're double-minded, James says. Double-minded. We're all hot on a Sunday. Yeah, great Monday morning. We're all over the shop. 
So we need daily to come, and we need to come and wash our hands in the, uh, come say, God, forgive us. Forgive me for my wayward heart. God, purify my heart. It says in uh, Psalm 139, verses 23, it says, search me and try me, O God. If there is any unclean way within me, show me, change me, work in me, do something in my heart. The heart of the, 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 the root of our problem is, is in the heart. It's our desires that wage war in our hearts. And God wants to, wants, to battle, wants to win the battle of our hearts. And so we need to come and submit to the word of God, resist the devil. Draw, we draw near to God. We wash our hands. We say, God, forgive me. And we daily live in the grace of God. You see, repentance is a process. It's a, a daily process of God. I, I didn't get it right. I messed up yesterday. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Faithful and just. Not faithful and kind, just. He's just because Jesus has already paid the price. He must forgive our sin if we come and cry out in Christ, God, forgive me. I've, I've failed again. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We need to live in the grace of God. So there are symptoms, and we all have them. And it's easy on a, a morning where we're preaching about a topic and you can sit there and think, well, that's not me. Great word. I can think of someone that it's relevant to. And they're sitting over there. God, get them this morning. Actually, this morning, this is for us. It's for me and it's for you. There are symptoms. They're all over the place in the way our hearts, things rage, waging war, passions in our heart. But actually, God, God says, the source of the problem is here. Don't worry about other stuff for the moment. The problem is here in your heart, and I want to deal with it. I want you to be free. And so he says, come on, receive my grace. Submit to me. Submit to my word. If my word says it, believe it. Put it into practice. Resist the devil. Just say no. You don't have to give in. If you submit to me, I'll help you to be able to stand. You're not on your own. He's with you. Christ is with us. As we come near to God, it says, he comes near to us. It's a beautiful phrase. We come near to him. He comes near. God, the God of heaven, somehow comes near to us. And as we wash our hands, he purifies us washes us, cleanses us, our heart, our heart level, but also he helps us to say no, helps us to walk free, to live in the grace of God. I'm going to ask Jim, the, Jim and the band are going to come up, and we're going, to, we're going to respond by breaking bread, because actually the answer is Christ. We receive grace from God through Christ. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing of an, after another. Christ came full of grace and truth. This is true. It's the Word of God. We believe it. We submit ourselves to it. And I want to encourage you to come to Christ this morning and break bread and say, God, thank you. If you know that there are heart issues for you, you know God's been speaking to you about attitudes, things you're holding, and you just maybe just need to wash your hands and your heart. You just say, God, forgive me. 
Forgive me in Christ. Forgive me for what I've done. Help me to walk free and come near in worship and break bread and say thank you for the cross where you gave your life for me. That's what we're going to do. We're going to break bread together. And so as the musicians play, I want you to respond. First of all, just take a moment right now in your heart. If there's stuff you need to adjust, deal with stuff in your heart before God. Wash your hands. It says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can come near to God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. God, wash me clean with the blood of Jesus. Forgive me for what I've done wrong. Forgive me for my attitudes. You maybe not know of any specific thing, but I tell you, you've been, we've all been impacted by this. We're all impacted by the world we live in. And then we're going to come, I want you to take bread and wine. And the musicians are going to be playing. And then we're going to respond in worship at the end. We want to have hearts passionate for him. We want to be passionate for Christ. He gave everything for us. Let's be people who give everything for him. So when you're ready, you come and take bread and wine. And when people have done that, we'll stand and worship him together. But do business with God. If you're not a believer this morning, you can get right with God now. Put your trust in him. Take bread and wine. Say, Jesus, thank you. Your body was given for me. His blood was shed for me.